You are now listening to Zakaic Podcast, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, Healer, Sanctifier, and Coming King. A blessed evening to everyone. Happy Thanksgiving Day to all. I am praying that God is going to open our hearts and our minds so that as we listen to His Word, we will get something out of it and we'll be able to bring it in our day-to-day living. Now, I want us to participate tonight at the very beginning of this sermon because I want to ask, who are the people here who were born in the 70s and the 80s? Please raise your hands. 70s and 80s. Wag na kayong mahiya. Kasali ako doon. <laughs> okay. Thank you for raising your hand. Now, I ask you to raise your hand because I know and believe that you can relate very much with what I would be telling you at the beginning part of this sermon. In those years, when you court someone or when you are being courted by someone, what happens is that that person would either go and talk to you personally or that person will write a letter. Those were the days that social media wasn't, wasn't popular yet. Or I don't know if there were social media back then already, but I suspect there were none. But if there are back then, it was not yet popular here in the Philippines. In fact, in the, I think, year 2008 or 9, my wife and I went to Kuala Lumpur, and when we were there, they asked us, do you have a Facebook account? And we, we responded to them, we don't have Facebook account, we only have um, what was that? Friendster. We only had Friendster. Hindi pa masyadong popular yung Facebook dito that time. But if you were born in the 80s, 70s, there were no social media yet. And if you want to court someone, you got to go to that person and talk personally to that person. Or you can choose to write a letter. And of course, if you want to write something, a someone, a letter, you want to be impressive in the way you write it, in the content, even on the paper that you use. So what usually were done by the young men back then is young men back then would buy a special paper or some would call it stationery. Now the young people in our time, born in 90s and the year 2000 and even earlier, you, you don't use these things when you court someone. Okay? Because oftentimes you just text or you chat with someone on a messenger or any other form of communication or you call the person or video call the person. That's the privilege of being in this generation. But back then, the communication ways are very limited. So one of those ways was to write a letter. And if you want to impress, you have to buy something that is made for it. A special paper or what we call back then as stationery. When you write something on a stationery and send it to the someone you love, when the woman opens it, it has its very unique fragrance. It smells so good. So sa amoy pa lang ng letter, impressive na. Pero yung mga walang pera, walang pambili ng stationery, like me back then. What we did was we tried to be very artistic when we wrote a letter to someone special. And one time, I attempted to do something. I wrote it on an ordinary paper because I didn't have money to buy any special paper. I wrote it on an ordinary paper. But I want to express my creativity because I wanted to impress that woman that I was uh, the, the recipient of the letter. 
And so what I did was I got a lighter and burned the side of the page to create a very artistic effect. I love art. So I did that. At the top of it, I burned the side and it looked awesome. Going down to the side, when I reached the bottom, I don't know what was in my mind. The paper was, the paper, instead of positioning it this way so that the rest of the parts won't be burned, I positioned it like this and I was burning the bottom of it. What happened next is that it burned a portion of the letter and it distorted what I wrote on that letter. So, hindi na siya masyadong mabasa. The intention that I had in my heart, the message that I wanted to convey, the power of the message that I had was on that page. The problem was this. It was distorted. Why? Because I accidentally burned a portion of it. That instant distorted the very message that I have written on that page. As I imagine about the realities of life, this is what I have discovered. Often, when you and I would experience a storm in life, literally and figuratively, when we experience a storm in life, there are many times that that storm distorts the way we see our God. When it's too much already, when we, can, when we will be able to say, Lord, I can't bear it anymore. Oftentimes, if we are not careful enough, that storm that we are going through can distort the way we see our God. Now, there is a very important psalm that I want to bring to your attention this evening. Let's look at Psalm 57. Psalm 57 verses 1 to 11. This is a psalm of David. And I want us to understand this very psalm and see also the background story when David wrote this. So let's read it from the New American Standard Bible. Psalm 57 verses 1 to 11. He said here, Be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry out, to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He rebukes the one who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send his favor and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who devour, among sons of mankind whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is sharp is a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, God. May your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. My heart is steadfast. God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your goodness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. 
be exalted above the heavens, God. May your glory be above all the earth. May the good Lord bless the reading of his word. Before we really study in particular the words that David penned down in this psalm, I want us to see and look at the background story of this. Psalms are songs, okay? I told you this before already. Psalms are songs. In every song, in every piece of poetry, there is a very important story behind it. And unless you know the story behind the poetry, you would not have the best appreciation of the piece, okay? So let's look at the background story of Psalm 57. There was a time when David was a shepherd boy. He was just a shepherd boy. His brothers were in the camp because they were standing against the Philistines. There was a battle that was about to take place back then. Saul was the reigning king of Israel and the brothers of David were with him. They were there at the Ella Valley. They were facing the Philistines and there was a representative among the Philistines whose name was Goliath. Goliath was described by the author in the Old Testament text that Goliath was a fearsome warrior. Every one of the armies of Israel was so afraid of him and nobody dared to fight against him. David was asked by his father to bring Baon to his brothers because he was just a shepherd boy. He wasn't a warrior. So he was asked by his dad to go to his brothers and bring some Baon for them. When he arrived there, he noticed that there was a giant taunting the armies of the living God. David heard those words and he responded with braveness, uh, with braveness in the heart. He was so brave without fear deep within him. He managed it and he, he, he even con convinced Saul to let him fight against the giant. Well, at the end of the day, by God's enabling power, David won against Goliath. After the battle, the, army, the armies of God was so victorious, they went back to the city. And the women of the city came out of their quarters. Saul, David, and the rest of the army and the entourage were there, marching towards the gate of the city. All of the women came out, and they sang praises. They honor these armies of God. And specifically, they honored Saul as their king. And they said, we honor Saul because he slew thousands. But they had to honor the hero of the day. The hero of the day was David. He was the one who slaughtered Goliath. And then they also honored him saying, David slew his ten thousands. Now, I want us to see the difference. Saul slew his thousands. David defeated his ten thousands. There was a greater attribution to David. Because of that, Saul was so jealous of him. He began thinking that this guy, if he has taken away the heart of the people from me, the only thing that he needs to take is the throne. He became so afraid of David, David became a threat to him. From that time, he started thinking, finding a way to kill this young boy. One time, David was seated in the palace. He was doing something. A chore maybe in the, of an ordinary servant in the palace. When Saul, without saying anything, picked up his spear, spear and then threw it toward David. 
praise God, it missed the target. David survived and ran away. But Saul made a promise that whoever will be able to kill Goliath in the earlier time, he is going to let that person marry his daughter. And so that time, when David was running already, he told him, why don't you marry my daughter? But the intention of Saul was not really to make David his son-in-law. He had a different intention. He asked him to marry his daughter because instead of asking for a dory, some of you who came from tribes that practice dory are familiar of it, right? If you want, if a man would like to marry a woman, you got to pay a huge amount of money to the parents. They, some of the people would say it's actually for the starting, what is this fund of the couple. But some would really be giving it away so that the parents can have it. So they practiced dory back then. But this time, Sabin is soul, K. David, I will not ask for any dory from you. What I will be asking from you is this. I want you to get a hundred foreskins from our enemy. You present to me that 104 skins and you'll marry my daughter. You cannot get a foreskin of a human being without killing the person. In other words, you're going to risk your life by taking a, a, a single foreskin from a person. But he was requiring David a hundred. And so David went out, confronted the enemies, and got even more than a hundred foreskins and presented it to Saul. That was the second attempt of Saul to kill David. But because of what David did, David was able to get his daughter. Now they were married. One time, while David was in the palace again, he was playing his harp. An evil spirit disturbed Saul. And out, out of nowhere, he picked up his spear again and threw it to David again. But again, he missed the target. And so he tried to escape. And David sent his messengers to spy in the house of David because they, he wanted them to wait for him to come out in the morning so that they can kill him. But his wife heard the news that even before the night ended, he was able to inform David and told David, you better escape because the men of my father is gonna kill you, are going to kill you. So David escaped again. If you look at these four scenarios that I have given to you, four times that the most powerful men in Israel back then attempted to kill David, attempted to take his very life. It was the very storm that David was facing. That is why he needed, he needed to run away. When you are chased by the king, nobody would like to, to take you to give refuge to you. Nobody would like to do that. Why? Because that person who's going to take care of you, even if that person has his own armory, that person will be against the king. In other words, there is nobody around you who can protect you. And this time, because of that storm that David was going through, he had to run away and he hid inside a cave. It was inside the cave that he wrote some. 57. It was inside that cave that he wrote Psalm 57 
with that in his mind, the fearsome experience of being chased by the most powerful person in Israel. That was the very storm that David was going through. But I want us to look very carefully on how he crafted his peace. You look at verses 1 to 3. As I have mentioned to you, Psalms are songs. Okay? I use the New American Standard Bible because in it there is a specific, a specific term that is attached to some of the verses. When you look at verses 1 to 3, after verse 3, there is the word selah. The word selah means pose. A pose. If there is a song, if it's a music, there is a time for you to take a rest. If you have a peace, there is, there is a rest portion wherein you stop. It's a time for you to stop, to breathe, and some take some time to imagine about the God that you are singing to. So there was a selah after verse 3. And then he continued with the peace, and then after verse, I think verse 6, there was another selah. And then verses 7 to 11, he went on with the psalm. So if you look at the Selah, it could be a possible division of the text. Verses 1 to 3, stanza 1. Verses 4 to 6, stanza 2. And 7 to 11 is like a chorus of his peace. That can be interpreted that way. But there is also a very specific grammatical or poetical feature that the author incorporated in this piece. And here is something that I want us to see from the screen. Look at this. We call this, this a chiastic structure. There are some passages that I preached before that were presented this way already. David used a chiastic structure in this song. Okay? If you look at verses 1 to 3, you would see that David expressed, okay, what did he express there? He expressed his reliance upon God. Now from A+, plus, you look at the bottom, a minus. Looking at verses 7 to 11, David again expressed his expression of reliance to God. Now I want us to go back to the, uh, what is this? The portion on the top of it. Look at B plus. David described the works of the enemies. You can see that in verses 3 to 4. And then go down, B minus, David described the work of the enemies again. Verse 6. What is in verse 5? David, in verse 5, uttered an exaltation and glorification of God. Now, when you see a piece in the biblical writing, in a chiastic structure, the main emphasis of the author is not the beginning nor the end, neither the middle of it the, the, the middle of the middle and the beginning and the end, but it's the very, very main point at the very middle of it. A plus, B plus, it's the C. A minus, B minus, then going to C. Looking at this structure, since David incorporated this, what he wanted really to bring out in this piece is his exaltation and glorification of the God he served. Now here is something that I want us to see. A plus and A minus, he expressed his reliance on God. Lord, I am inside the cave. I am chased by the most powerful man in Israel. And because he's the most powerful man, there is no person 
who is willing to embrace me and protect me against the whales of this enemy of mine. He's so powerful. There is no one that I can rely on. I'm in this cave, but my trust is in you, Lord. He expresses reliance on God. Looking at his left, there is no one to protect him. Looking at his right, he did not find any weapon that he can use against the enemy. He looked around him and there was nothing left in him except God. And he looked at God and expressed his reliance on him. And then, after expressing his reliance on God, we go toward the middle. You will see B plus B minus. David again saw the work of the enemies. Now think about this. When you are in a conundrum, when you are in a difficult situation, oftentimes, oftentimes, we are in a battle of seeing or expressing our reliance on God and becoming devoured by the present condition we're facing. When you are going through a storm in life, we are always in a battle between these two things. Either to rely on God or to dwell on the storm that we are going through. If we resolve to rely on God, we will be above the storm. But we, if we are swallowed by the condition that surrounds us, then there is a possibility that we will be succumbed to it and we will forget about the image of the real God that we worship. Listen very carefully. When you look at verse 5, David said, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Be glorified, or may your glory be above the earth. Take note of these two words, be exalted and glorified, or be glorified, or your glory. When you exalt someone, meaning to say, you bring the person to a, an elevated place, a pedestal, a position that you can see him, that he is above you, that he is above the situation. This is what actually David has done here. He was in the cave hiding. He was chased by the most powerful man in Israel. But what happened here is that he said, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. In other words, this is my storm that I have been going through, but I'm exalting you above the heavens because there is no storm that can drown me because you are up there. If we focus on the storm, it will overwhelm us. When it overwhelms us, it distorts the way we see our God. It distorts the way we see our God. Eventually, we forget that we have a God on our side if we are overwhelmed by the storm. But David said, be exalted, O God. I have this storm surrounding me. The only place that I can hide, that I can run to, is this cave that I am in right now. But be exalted above the heavens. Because there is no storm on earth that can cover my eyes from beholding you for who you really are. Exalting God in the midst of storm. Putting God where he should be. Because when we fail to exalt God in the midst of storm, 
the only thing we would see are the winds, the destruction, the failure, the problems, our helplessness. Those are the things that we see, and it would develop self-pity. It would develop worry. It would develop anxiety. It would go to depression until it's going to swallow us and bring us down. But as long as we exalt God and we see Him at the top, meaning to say He's there, He sees everything, He's in control, then we learn to put Him where He should be. And we would learn to glorify Him. David said, may you be exalted above the heavens and may your glory be above the earth. Because everything that happens within this planet, you are above it. Everything that happens in my life, Lord, even if I, I, I seem to be hopeless already, I put you in an exalted place because I see you. When you are there, it tells me that you are in control. So whatever storm happens to me, whatever circumstance that would confront me, you are up there. You are exalted. You are in control. Oftentimes, just like that letter that I have burned that distorted the message that I have written in it, a storm can come in a person's life and distort how we see God that we could not even read anymore who God is. But when He is exalted, placed in the proper position, in the midst of our storm and trouble, we will be able to navigate from where we are to the restoration that God has for us. Put God in the proper position in the storm that you are in right now. Wag mong ismulin si Lord. Put Him in the proper position. There is something that I have read from Facebook. May maganda rin napapala tong Facebook eh. Marami ding hindi hindi magandang nagagawa. But there is something that I have read from Facebook from the wall of Dr. Ben Halili. Look at what he wrote there. COVID has Delta, Kappa, and now Omicron. You know what these three words, Delta, Kappa, and Omicron? These are new variants. We already had a Delta. Yung Kappa, I don't know if it reached Sambuanga City already. And the new one now is Omicron. You know what these words are? These are letters in the Greek alphabet. And sometimes when we listen to the news and when we are informed about the new variants that are coming out, it tells us that this pandemic doesn't have an end anymore. And when we allow it to swallow us, we sometimes forget that He is in control. Because this reality is taking place around us. I tell you, if you are not aware enough, it is going to distort the way we see our God. And when we have a distorted vision about our God, what happens is that we fail to put Him in the right place. Again, the question that I have asked earlier is, where is God in your storm? Where is God in the storm that you are going through right now? Because as far as David is concerned, in whatever storm he has gone through, he placed God on the pedestal. Because as long as God is there, I can navigate, Lord, as long as you are there. Because I know that you are in control. And then Dr. Ben continued with his statement. He said, Delta, Kappa, and now Omicron. But still, Jesus is the Alpha. And Omega. 
He remains to be the Alpha and Omega. What are these two words, Alpha and Omega? Delta, Kappa, Omicron are letters in the Greek alphabet. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters in the Greek alphabet. When these two words are described to God, when these two words are described to Jesus, it talks about God's complete power and control over everything. With this statement, the person who wrote it is putting God in the proper place in the midst of this pandemic. Yes, there are still a lot of alphabets in the Greek, a lot of letters in the Greek alphabets. What I'm trying to tell you is there could still be a lot of variants that would come out. But at the end of the day, put God in the proper place. Jesus remains to be the Alpha and Omega. Jesus, whatever storm that you will be going through, put Him in a pedestal, put Him in the proper position because He remains to be the Alpha and Omega. He remains to be in control. He remains to be the God that is all-powerful in the midst of any storm that you can go through. God bless us all and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. You just heard the message from Sambuanga City Alliance Evangelical Church. We hope that it will help you in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. For more updates, you can follow us on your social media platforms in Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Zikaek Ministries. God bless!